I want to start by reading an excerpt from an article out of Decision Magazine, which is the magazine published by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So let me uh, read a good part of that as an introduction to the message this morning. It's entitled, What Happens When a Nation Spirals into Darkness? Have you ever seen a sports team collapse in a game? The players were doing well, then one thing went wrong, then another, and before you knew it, the game had become a disaster. Everything unraveled. More serious, have you ever seen someone's health collapse? One day they seem to be fine, the next day they experience some unusual pain and tiredness. The following day, total exhaustion. Then the terrible diagnosis from the doctor. Then debilitating sickness and death. It's tragic to behold. Yet there's something far worse. I'm talking about when a nation collapses, morally and spiritually. When a cultural culture spirals out of control. When restraint is all but gone. When good becomes evil and evil becomes good. When shameful things are celebrated and holy things are denigrated. This is what we're witnessing in America today. Our country is spiraling out of control. Our culture is unraveling. Darkness is being heralded as light. We're reaping the fruit of the sexual revolution of the 1960s, which began with an explosion of promiscuity and then led to the loss of the sacredness of marriage, then no-fault divorce, then the epidemic rise of pornography, then the redefining of marriage, then the redefining of gender. What's next? We've moved from homosexual activism to transgender activism to the point that girls who complain about biological boys sharing their locker rooms are called transphobic and bigoted. Just a few years ago, no one would have believed we would have descended in such cultural madness. It used to be taboo to engage in a public homosexual relationship. Today, it's taboo to voice any disapproval of such relationships. To do so could cost you your job. And this unraveling has occurred with startling speed to the point that in 2008, Senator Barack Obama had to lie about his views on same-sex marriage in order to get elected president. By 2012, he could fully support it. And by 2015, it was the law of the land. What a dramatic, extreme, and sudden cultural shift. But this was just the tip of the very larger iceberg. One minute, it was shameful for a man to present himself as a woman. The next minute, Bruce Caitlyn Jenner was named Woman of the Year. The minute after that, you could be fined on your job for misgendering someone. Yet this, too, was part of a larger social decline. Radical feminism, another aspect of the sexual revolution, has come into full bloom. Men are evil, and the ultimate woman's right is abortion. No longer is it enough for abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. As once formulated by President Bill Clinton, women need to shout their abortion. Heaven help the man, like Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who might be perceived as a threat to the sacred right. That sacred right that they think is a sacred right. We're also witnessing a dramatic drop in professing Christians going from roughly 85 to 75% in one decade. A recent Pew report indicates that 20% of the U.S. adults now describe themselves as religiously unaffiliated, making the highest percentage of such adults of any Pew poll to date. So this bad news is frightening. The bad news is the frightening rate of our moral and cultural unraveling. But the good news is that many believers 
such as yourselves, are waking up to the urgency of the hour and seeking God earnestly. They're also taking a stand, pushing back against the radical left in their children's schools and fighting for the next generation. America truly hangs in the balance. And the words of the prophet Joel have never been more relevant. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Our nation is falling apart at the seams. Only the Lord can make us whole. The hour is late, but it's not too late. How will you respond? I thought that I asked myself a question, and I thought probably some of you who are my age and older were asking the same question. Maybe even some of you who are younger. Where's the nation I once knew? And I came with some biblical answers this morning, and Bobby, I apologize. I'm going to be zooming through these just for the sake of time, so you don't have to worry about keeping up necessarily. But Psalm 915 tells what happens to a nation such as ours. The nations have sunk down into the pit which they made, and the net which they hid their own foot is called. Our nation is sunk down in a pit. We're in a moral pit. We're in a spiritual pit. Our foot is caught in it like a, an animal, a wild animal caught in a trap. That's how our nation is caught in this spiritual and moral decline that we're in. Where is our nation? We're in reproach. That word means disgrace and guilty. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This nation, because of our sin as a whole, we're under reproach. Where is our nation? We're divided. Have you ever seen our nation more divided than it is today? And therefore... We're headed for desolation. Remember what Jesus said in, in Luke eleven seventeen. He was accused of casting out demons in the name of the devil. And Jesus said, that doesn't make any sense. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, any kingdom divided against itself will come to desolation, destruction, perish. We cannot continue on the present course that we are in this nation as divided as we are and expect to thrive and survive. It's just not going to happen. Not without God. We're also drunk. This nation is drunk on the wine of worldliness and materialism and greed. In Revelation 14.8, that those words worldliness, materialism, greed... Immorality is summed up in a, the name of a city, Babylon. And it says in Revelation 14 that this world system named Babylon is fallen because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Chapter 18, verse 3 says, All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And America 
is no different. Verse 23 of chapter 18 says, The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. There's coming a day when the light that's in this nation and in this world will be taken out. That light is the Holy Spirit through the church of Jesus Christ. We're one day going to be raptured, and this world and this nation is going to really be in trouble. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard anymore. Not only will there not be, what he's talking about there is the bride, the church of Jesus Christ, will be gone, and the bridegroom, Jesus Christ's voice, will not be heard anymore. No craftsman nor any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. He said, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And that's what's happening. Our nation has been deceived by this world system. And we're going the way of all other nations that have fallen. It's been said, I don't know who said it, but every nation that has fallen, who can complete that statement, has fallen from within. We're drunk on the wine of Babylon. And where's our nation? We're facing severe judgment. God, the Bible says in Psalm 66, 7, the Lord beholds what's going on. He's not ignorant of what's happening. His eyes are beholding what's going on in our nation. Psalm 59 in verse 8 says, But the Lord shall have the nations in derision. And I can show you many other scriptures here in, in the book of Psalm. This is one I'm going to fast forward through because I want to get to what we're doing here at the end. This nation, any nation, doesn't matter if it's America, China, Japan, Russia, Israel, doesn't matter the nation. Any nation that forsakes God, any nation that degrades itself into how we have degraded ourselves is going to be under the judgment of God because this is God's book. This is God's law. So where's the nation I once knew? It's pretty much where we are. Then I ask, where is God? Well, I think he's where he's always been. He's on the throne. God hasn't been dethroned. America hasn't dethroned God. God cannot be dethroned. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 6 says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? God rules over all things. Psalm 22 and verse 28. He says, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. In chapter 47 of Psalm in verse 8. He says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. You say, well, if God reigns, why is all this bad stuff happening? Well, just because God's in control. God reigns. He still gives you and I the will to operate as we choose to. He doesn't override our will. God's still on the throne. We cannot dethrone him no matter how rebellious we may become. The Bible says also God desires all nations to serve him. In Psalm 33 and verse 12, the Bible says, and this is a prophecy, much of Psalms is a prophecy. But he says, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees, I'm sorry, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen at his, as his own inheritance. And Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. 
You know, God's desire is for all nations to serve him, to come to know him, to love him. That's his desire. That's his will. It's never changed. Even this nation in the condition that we're in now, his will, his desire is still for men everywhere, women everywhere, to repent and turn back to him. And he will save them. He is willing that none should perish, the Bible says, but all should come to repentance. And the Bible says also that he redeems people still in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation in which this nation finds itself and in which other nations of this world find themselves. He is still redeeming, saving people, just like we saw happen as Eli professed his faith in Jesus. And it's not just children, it's men, it's women. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, as John the uh, apostle was uh, privy to the revelation, the final revelation of Jesus Christ, he said, I saw uh, this happen, I heard this new song, and they were singing, You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Then he saw, sees something else later on in the book of Revelation. It says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hand, crying out, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, there are going to be people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, in heaven, people from all parts of the world. God is still in the saving business. God is still redeeming people and calling people, even in the midst of this crookedness. But the last question I ask, where is our nation? Where is our God? Where are God's people? Some are ostriches because they choose to be. An ostrich puts his head in the sand and he pretends like nothing on, is going on around him. People, God's people are like that because they don't know, they don't care, and they don't want to know, and they don't want to care. They're just worried about themselves. Edmund Burke was the one that said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do what? Nothing. Some of God's people are doing absolutely nothing. Some are sloths. You know what a sloth is, don't you? Take them a whole day. Take four steps. They don't even take steps. They just kind of hang and suspend. They're very slow. They're lazy. That's where some of God's people are. They know what they should be doing. They know the direction they ought to be going, but they're so lazy. They don't make any effort. Some are like otters. You ever watch an otter on the wild, wildlife channel? Man, they are the funniest creatures in the world. They're all about sliding down the snow drifts and swimming in the river and chasing each other. They're all about the fun. That's where some Christians are. It's all fun and games. However much pleasure we can fill our lives with. It doesn't matter what's going on, that our world's going to hell in a handbasket. Let's just have as much fun as we possibly can. And then there are some Christians who are like wild hogs. We have wild hogs around here, but most landowners don't like wild hogs. Why not? They tear everything up. Some Christians are like a wild hog. They mean well, and they get, 
they get socially active, but they do it in such an angry, bitter way that they do more damage than they do good. They're known for hate more than they are for love. But Jesus calls his people, God's people, are to be wise as serpents, but harmless as what? Doves. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 13 through 16, he says, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? That is, if we're the salt and we have lost our savor, how how are we making any influence or impact in this world in which we live? It's good for nothing then just to be thrown aside and trampled underfoot. And that's what's happening to God's people today is is we're not being salt. We've lost our savor and the world has dismissed us. He says, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to be salt and light. We're God's people. Well, we're we're supposed to be fishers of men. Jesus told that to his disciples in in Luke 5.10. As he performed the miracle of the fishes there, and it, it so humbled Peter. He bowed down before Peter and said, God, I'm a sinful man. He realized he was in the presence of Almighty God, and Jesus said, don't be afraid. He said, from now on, you're going to catch men. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. In other words, that's our responsibility. Where God's people we ought to be out there trying to rescue people from these things that I just read about in that article. We ought to be disciple makers. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, Verse 19 and 20 says, go and make disciples of all the nations. All these nations that are following the course of Babylon, there is still hope. There is still time. Although it's late, it's not too late. And lastly, we ought to be on our knees. Bill Eliff wrote an article entitled, What Should We Pray About? He asked this question. Let's put this in reference. What if you were invited to lead the nation in prayer Thursday afternoon? We're going to have a national, nationally televised prayer, and you have been asked to lead the prayer. What would you pray for? Solomon had that opportunity in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. The temple had just been completed. You know, his dad, David, had prepared all these building materials for him, but David couldn't build it. But God told David, your son, Solomon's going to build it. Solomon built it. It took him quite a few years to complete it. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, he completes it. And then he makes a prayer of dedication What did he pray? As Bill Ella put it, after a few sentences of praise to God for being a covenant-keeping God, who is always full of faithfulness and loving kindness, he began to make his request. And here's the primary substance of his prayer. Lord, when we pray in this place, that is the temple, please hear our prayer. You go back and read that prayer and see how many times he asked the Lord to hear their prayer. Eleven times 
in 24 verses, Solomon said, Lord, when we are in this situation or this condition, and when we pray and make supplication to you in this house, or even towards this house, he said, if they're scattered and they pray towards Jerusalem or towards this temple, he said, then hear in heaven and answer our prayer. So he had this opportunity to lead the nation in prayer. And you know what he prayed? He prayed that God people, God's people would pray. And that is really our downfall. For it's at the conclusion of that prayer that God responded this way. The Lord appeared to Solomon and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. So Solomon says, God, please hear us when we pray. And God says, I will. When my people see all this going on, and I just read for you in that article, all this going on in our world, when my people see that, if they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will turn from their own wicked ways and seek my face, he said, then I will hear. And I will forgive. And I will hear. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2 that we're, Paul says, I exhort you first of all, first of all, to pray for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority. He didn't say whether you like them or not or agree with them or not. He said pray for them. God's people, where are they? They should be on their knees. So that's what I want us to do. And the conclusion of this message, this, ser this service today, is we need to be on our knees for our nation. We celebrate our independence from England. But I'm afraid that too many are celebrating their independence from God. And that's our problem. So God's people, will we humble ourselves? Will we seek his face? Will we pray? Will we turn from our wicked ways? Will you? That's what God's calling us to. Will we pray? So as our instruments play, as June, as you're going to play, we're not going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. I'm going to be here at the altar praying for our nation. You can come to this altar and join me, or you can pray right where you are. If you feel comfortable and are able, you can kneel where you are or here at this altar. Even if you can't kneel and you just like to come to the altar anyway and just sit, you can just come sit and bow. We're going to do this as a sign of our dependence upon God. God, we know that the only hope for this nation is you.